This is Julian Patterson for the Business Innovation Leaders Forum. Innovation probably isn't the first word that springs to mind when you think of state-provided healthcare services. To find out why, I'm joined by Martin Curley. Martin is Director of Digital Transformation and Open Innovation in Ireland's National Health Service, the Health Service Executive. Until recently, he was the organisation's CIO. Martin's career highlights include MasterCard, where he was Group Head of Global Digital Practice, and Intel Corporation, where, among other things, he headed up Intel Labs Europe, a network of 50 research labs. He's also one of the select group of people to have held the title European Chief Technology Officer of the Year. Martin Curley, welcome. Thank you, Julian. Uh, Delighted to join you here today. Something struck me straight away reading about you. You talk about business value, technology innovation and entrepreneurship. This isn't the sort of language we're used to hearing from health service leaders when it comes to IT. Um, you know, I, I think actually that kind of language previously hasn't been used um, in, a, in healthcare, but I think we all have to recognise that healthcare is about a decade behind other industries and digitalizing, but that really is about to change. We're approaching, you know, what you might call a big bang moment, uh, where we're going to see dramatic change uh, over the next decade. Ray Kurzweil talks about the law of accelerating uh, returns, and uh, we're going to see a lot of compounding innovations that are going to drive very significant change and hopefully much better outcomes for patients and improved experience for our clinicians. Before we uh, before we get into detail, Martin, is it is it unfair to always characterise healthcare as being decades behind other industries when it comes to IT? No, I don't think so. And you know what I would say, Julian, uh, healthcare is probably the most in, you know, information intense uh, industry that we know, and yet it is the least you know digitalised. You know, if I look at my own experience at, at Intel, I was automation manager for one of Intel's uh, factories, Fab 14. Uh, we had very sophisticated information, our IoT technology and automation technology in place 30 years ago. And we still know an awful lot more about sort of silicon wafers than we do about people. Uh, so, you know, collectively, the, you know, the global IT industry has lagged and some countries have actually spent a lot of money and, and you know, there have been, you know, quite a few well-documented uh, failures, but I, I think we're now on, you know, on the cusp of a threshold moment uh, where that's about to change. And uh, one of the, the, the you will t- we may talk later on about some of the, the, the challenges, but there hasn't been uh, a, an effective change methodology to actually take all this great technology, metabolize it and turn it into value. Okay, why then, Martin, is it so hard to transform IT in the healthcare sector? Uh, so I would suggest there are three C's that are um, you know, at the, the root cause of why this transformation is so difficult. The first is culture, the second is complexity, and the third is, is capacity. Uh, so, so culture, you know, is 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 an issue an issue. Um, and you know, the rule of rescue dominates uh, healthcare. Most of our spending and most of our focus is 
trying to rescue you know the very sick, and that is a, you know a really noble and the, and the right thing to do. Uh, but it really detracts from the ability to actually have a proactive uh, approach to healthcare, and really where we need to be focused on is keeping well people well, or if you happen to have a chronic condition, you could be managed best of all from home. Uh, but the culture of health uh, systems is designed actually to minimize variability, to, to actually limit change. And that's exactly the opposite to the kind of conditions that you need uh, to affect change. You need to be able to take some risks, you need to be able to prototype and so on. So the first issue is sort of, you know, um, the, the culture, and the processes that were forged, you know, many, many decades before uh, the information technology began. Secondly, complexity, healthcare is very complex. Uh, but we've proven when I was at Intel and um, other manufacturing facilities that very complex processes, you know, can be managed uh, and can be automated and value can be created. Obviously, human beings are a lot more unpredictable than silicon wafers or airplanes. Uh, but the complexity is a challenge. And then I would say the, the third issue is, is capacity. Um, you know, and capacity in two senses. You know, first of all, um, the capacity of people to absorb change when people are working in stressed jobs or on the front line, the rule of rescue applies. They have very limited capacity to adopt uh, change. Um, and the other dimension of capacity is, 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 is the fact that healthcare systems don't invest in the capacity to actually drive change. Change isn't free. And, you know, sometimes or often you actually see a short, you know, slight degradation in performance while you're undergoing a change. And then actually the real benefits of the change come true. So healthcare systems really haven't addressed, you know, strongly the need for change capacity to be put in place. You could argue that clinical practice is necessarily risk averse, but is that same conservative tendency that we find in doctors and medical professionals a factor in slowing down IT innovation in the health service? Yes, no, I, 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 I think so, Julian. And what what we need to do, sort of, in our health systems is somehow get a culture of operational excellence uh, to exist and a culture of innovation excellence uh, and, and those need to coexist but are, there are you know a very significant amount of deaths that are attributed to you know medical errors so arguably the systems that we have in place you know in our hospitals and our healthcare systems uh, just aren't good enough they they aren't at the level of operational excellence required and that's despite you know we have wonderful doctors and, and nurses and, and physios and pharmacists but medication errors you know continue to be a significant problem and there's a real opportunity um, to develop solutions and deliver solutions which avoid uh, medication errors uh, so uh, lots lots of potential i wanted to ask you about the impact of the pandemic in the uk NHS, we've seen how innovation in parts of the health system has been unblocked in the past year and a half. Do you think we can keep this sense of urgency going? Well, that's a great point, Julian. And uh, what we observed in Ireland that COVID was a big bang disruptor. And, you know, the barriers, some of them artificial uh, to innovation were actually dropped because necessity is the mother of invention. 
Um, so, for example, we, we developed a solution for remote monitoring of COVID-19 patients and we uh, subsequently had thousands of patients uh, monitored from home and we were able to deploy this nationally. We went from an idea to nationally deployed in 30 acute sites in five weeks. Uh, normally, a deployment of that would have taken about two and a half years. So barriers were dramatically dropped and you know, what we need to try and do is actually maintain the, that intensity or desire for innovation so that these critical digital innovations can be pushed through and uh, deployed as soon as possible. Let's talk a little bit more about Ireland, the environment you know best, Martin. What are the particular challenges that you're facing there? Well, they're probably common to um, a, a lot of you know, other countries, but you know, one, one critical area is systemic underinvestment in information technology. You know, I think the NHS, for example, their IT intensity, that's the ratio of IT spending over the total budget is somewhere between three to four uh, percent. But in, in Ireland, the rate of investment is actually less than one percent. So we're, we're very significantly under under invested. And, uh, you know, we have the largest, you know, IT footprint, um, you know, in the country, probably one of the smaller IT organizations. Uh, one of the good things we've done is we've split the traditional IT and the digital transformation uh, function and that's according to a model developed by Jeannie Ross at, at MIT. And we're starting to get over this underinvestment in digital transformation. We're using a methodology called Open Innovation 2.0. And that's where we have got the entire ecosystem aligned around a, a shared vision. And we you know, have hundreds of partners that have been working with us, both large companies, the Dells, the Cisco's, uh, the Microsoft's and lots of small companies and actually given us many more resources than are available uh, just internally in the HSE. National health systems are collections of semi-autonomous organisations making some of their own decisions but also taking orders from national bodies or, or the state. Does that diffused or confused form of leadership make it harder to take a focused approach to digital innovation? Well, I think it's it's actually a problem for the broader health service, not just IT. And you, you are right, it is sort of a, sometimes it can be a loose coalition of semi, semi-autonomous organisations work, working together. Um, you know, I think quite often uh, organizations can suffer from not actually having a common vision and you know, the right communication and coordination uh, mechanisms you know, very often. And actually, this was true at Intel as well. Often it would take you know, six months for um, a very important decision to actually trickle down to all the levels um, you know, in the organization. So governance typically is an issue, both IT governance and actually overall governance in healthcare systems because they are so massive and you know, they're, they're complex and they're, they're, they're just div- difficult to coordinate and communicate to. I'm struck by what you said about the level of investment in the Irish national health system. If you're only spending between a quarter and a third of what other countries are spending per capita on IT, uh, is there anything you can do to work smarter to compensate for that lack of investment? 
first we need to fix that that problem but again i refer to the open innovation 2.0 methodology and this is where we actually pool resources from different organizations uh, to actually achieve a common goal and in ireland we're working with um, enterprise ireland and we would like to establish a joint fund so that we can incubate and accelerate promising digital health companies and innovations uh, into our healthcare system. So the opportunity to amplify or magnify funding by creating joint innovation programs with large uh, companies. And when we pool resources, uh, we can you know, make, make serious progress together. So for example, one issue um, is education of our clinical resources on the uh, on digital technologies and preparing them for the future. So we're just launching um, a joint professional diploma with Dell Technologies, and we have a thousand clinicians that have signed up for this diploma. And doing this, we've actually, at very low cost, created a world-class curriculum and are able to train train these um, clinicians and they become then champions for the, the overall digital change movement in Ireland. In commercial businesses, we're used to thinking about IT innovation, not just as important, but as the key to survival and growth. Is, is the same true in healthcare? And if so, has the penny dropped? Um, well, I think it, it absolutely is true in healthcare and even more urgent uh, probably than many other industries. But the penny hasn't dropped. And what we need is some real exemplars to actually show the possibilities. There's a lot of hype. But actually, if you look beyond the hype, you actually find real examples. So uh, an instrument that we use a lot is um, Living Labs, and we have over 40 of these in Ireland. This is where we test digital innovations in the field with real patients and with real clinicians. And you know, one example, which I think you know, has delivered extraordinary results, is um, a Living Lab with an organization called Centric Health, who are a GP network, and Rush Diagnostics. And uh, we have had a, a living lab where we're managing 100 heart failure patients at home uh, using, um, a, you know, road, road um, measurement technology. And of the 100 patients, uh, we've had, I think, in six months, we had 49 incidents. All but one of them were actually successfully managed um, remotely, and the patient hospitalization was avoided. And in the one case. Uh, where a patient had to be hospitalized. Actually, he ignored the new prescription that he was given for three days, and then it was too late uh, to avoid hospitalization. But this has dramatically um, improved on the situation that would have happened. Normally would have had, you know, maybe 40 patients hospitalized, 10 or 11 day hospitalization uh, for a deterioration, you know, costing 12, 13,000 euros. Uh, and, you know, the, the patient takes a long time to recover. Uh, so, you know, we need to have more and more of these examples where digital health is making a real change. And we, we call these stay left, shift left um, innovations. Stay left is where we're trying to keep well people well in their homes. Or if you happen to have a chronic condition, you could be managed best of all from home. Shift left is about moving patients as quickly as possible from an acute to a community, uh, to a home setting. And every time we make an intervention, we're looking for four outcomes, the so-called quadruple aim, reduction in cost, improvement in quality of care, improvement in quality of life, and lastly, improvement of the clinician experience. 
And every time we do these innovations, we're finding at least three of these four vectors um, you know, are, 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 are proved. And the more we do this, the more confidence is built in the system. And we will hopefully get this tsunami of, of change based on evidence that digital does work. It saves lives, saves time for doctors and nurses, uh, and improves quality of life while reducing cost. It's interesting that the examples you're giving are, are all about improving health outcomes. It's not obvious, looking at the way IT is used in some national health systems, that everyone is thinking in exactly the same way. Yeah, very much so. I, I think the IT and digital staff need to be bilingual, but they actually their primary language needs to be uh, the, the language of, of health. Um, many years ago, I wrote a book called Managing IT for Business Value, and it was based on our experience at Intel in creating a business value program. And there we were able to justify our IT projects based on uh, business value outcomes for, for Intel in terms of you know, revenue increase, avoidance of downtime, um, your reduction in days of inventory and so on. And that same approach applies uh, to healthcare. You know, Elizabeth Teesberg and Michael Porter you know, wrote a seminal book called you know, Value-Based Healthcare about a decade ago. But those principles you know, need to apply and need to apply urgently in healthcare worldwide about focusing on um, healthcare outcomes. All of our innovations, we try and couch them in the, you know, the, uh, the quadruple aim, those, those four uh, health outcomes, and it seems to be working. So you've already touched on this, Martin, but what else are you doing to change the way in which IT is used in the health system in Ireland? Uh, well, I think you know education is is um, um, a huge piece of this. And um, Derek Bach from Harvard once said, you know, if you think education is expensive, try ignorance. Um, so you have to um, you have to invest and. You know, many of our clinicians you know, graduated from medical schools or nursing schools when you know digital didn't really exist. So we're having to invest um, in um, you know digital education. We similar to the H to the NHS, we've created a digital academy, uh, which is quite different to the the NHS digital academy uh, for for a number of reasons, but. Uh, the cornerstone of our digital academy is a new masters in digital health transformation. Uh, we have worked with all of the eight Irish universities to actually co-design this masters and they co-deliver it. But rather than the students uh, writing a 30,000 word dissertation, uh, what they do is they have to deliver a digital change project. And this has become an additional change mechanism and a very important change mechanism in our healthcare system. So we've just had our first class of doctors and nurses and physios graduate, and they have delivered 20 digital change projects. Uh, 18 of those projects were viable, you know, two weren't successful. And you know, quite a few of those are already fully implemented and, and others are in the process of being implemented. Uh, we've just selected the digital change projects for this year's class. And we have, you know, more than 32 change uh, projects slated to, to begin uh, later this year. So we're using our digital academy um, as, a, as a change uh, agent. We, we hold um, a quarterly digital academy forum where we bring the ecosystem uh, together. 
and there we're socializing and spreading good ideas. So it's not just the people within the health system that are oriented towards digital change. We're able to leverage the full power of the ecosystem to drive change. You've made it very clear that the ecosystem, the partnerships between the service, the health service and um, the technology industry and others are critical in your view of uh, innovation. Uh, what else are you hoping for from them? Uh, what, what, what further developments are you looking forward to? Well, I, I, I think there's lots of areas, um, Julian, uh, standards, you know, integration, data sharing, security, advancement of disruptive technologies. You know, there are, there are so, so many opportunities. We, we're starting to talk about healthcare 4.0, um, you know, as a new goal. So similar to the change that happened in, you know, in, in, in industry and, you know, defined originally in Germany, industry 4.0, and the application of cyber-physical systems, um, we need to look at you know, what is the equivalent in, in, in healthcare. So I, I think the instrumented person is going to be um, a very important sort of you know, entity, uh, you know, moving forward. Uh, you know, we have a living lab, for example, we want to start on, and we partner Cisco and Vodafone and a small Irish company called Think Bio Solutions are partners. And there's a paradigm shift that should happen from a focus on clinical care to preclinical care. So what we're aiming to do in this project is by tracking a person's vital uh, signs and using AI to analyze them, we're, we'll be able to detect actually the emergence of hypertension or pre-diabetes before these develop into your chronic diseases uh, so that we can intervene earlier. So the, the ability to have closed loop medicine where there's a cycle of what we called the three A's, uh, we, we have acquisition of data, we have analysis and then actuation. So we have to execute that cycle acquire data, analyze, and then act or actuate uh, on that data, providing these closed loop uh, digital you know, medicine or digital health solutions is, is, is going to be critical moving forward. Martin, you've talked about how important it is to have clinicians on side, but are they sometimes part of the problem? Do they sometimes resist innovation? Yes, and I, I'm not sure why, because, you know, most clinicians are, you know, evidence-based, and when you have good data, um, that's a really good uh, place to start. But, you know, we recently had an example for, um, you know, senior clinician, we used AI for diabetic uh, retinal scanning, and, uh, you know, normally that process takes three to five days to get a result but by implementing machine learning in real time and your training uh, machine uh, with a reference database, those three or five days went to three seconds. So a retina could be scanned and a very high confidence result uh, was actually delivered in three seconds. So this would be revolutionary, com completely change uh, the process of diabetic retinal scanning. Uh, but the clinician got nervous around data protection and you know where their um, consents available from the patients that actually provided the data that was in the training database. And, you know, the whole database was subsequently deleted and the project stopped. So I, I think what we need to do is find those early adopters 
uh, the people that do have an affinity for technology are willing to take a little bit of risk and then actually prove the solutions, talk about the solutions in the language of the quadruple aim. And then I think we'll get more adoption, but the choice of clinician, the sponsor, and we find that in our living labs, you have to, it's critical to get the right sponsor, the right consultant to work with. When health systems look to improve, they very often examine the work of their neighbours for uh, good examples of inspiring best practice. Is it more important, though, that we look at this as a uh, collective activity and and start to work better together? Yeah, you know, I I think there's a huge imperative and a huge need uh, to learn uh, because unlike corporations that are competing against each other, health systems aren't competing against each other. They're actually um, collaborating. So there's an an enormous opportunity. And um, we have convened with ISC a plenary session on digital health at the United Nations General Assembly this year, specifically with the goal of sharing, aligning uh, different health systems so we we can learn together. So, for example, Jeffrey Braithwaite, who's the head of the Australian uh, Institute of Healthcare Innovation, you know, has been a profound innovator, uh, you know, over the last couple of decades. And uh, he will be one of the colleagues. And he speaks about uh, the three numbers in healthcare that you really need to know 60, 30, 10. And, you know, if these numbers were just known around the world and organizations could could work uh, towards them and find outcomes that help improve those numbers. So 60% is that 60% of healthcare value of healthcare interventions actually add value, 30% of no impact or actually waste, and 10% actually uh, are harmful. So if we could collectively work, for example, at reducing that 10%, that's saving lives, it's changing quality of life. Uh, if we could focus on the 30%, we could eliminate a lot, a lot of waste. I, you know, personally seen, you know, in, in my own family, you know, tests that were run for, for no other reason than actually, you know, gaining, earning money for um, the, the private hospital. There was no clinical indication for why the test uh, you know, w- would be needed. So this is an example where we could share and actually have a common goal. What we're aiming to do is to get different organizations to embrace the idea of stay left, shift left. Uh, we're all kind of sailing, you know, similar ships and we're all heading towards that proactive healthcare, uh, you know, model where we're able to extend lives and improve care and improve quality of life. But we need a, a mantra or we need just a common sort of strategy and um, you know we think the idea of staying left and shifting left can be really important you're making progress no matter what way the wind changes if you're always heading to deploy solutions that will improve care improve quality of life reduce cost uh, and improve the clinician experience Uh, we've a lot to learn from the us now the us by no means is a is a model for healthcare efficiency you know or effectiveness despite being you know, the world's biggest spender per capita on, on health, you know, it has poorer um, your life expectancy than your know, many other developed countries. But what they have done right uh, is, you know, driven a major change in the adoption of electronic health records. And they actually created incentives for doctors and, and hospitals uh, to actually embrace 
electron, electronic health records. So clinicians were paid to adopt those records and they very went very quickly from very few um, organizations have electronic records to you know over 95% in less than a decade. So the use of incentives is very important in terms of driving digital change. What lessons, Martin, could other countries learn from the Irish experience and the work that you've done? Uh, well, I think we're still in the early stages, so a big mistake will be declare success too early. Um, you know, we've set out and you know an aspiration. The business school professors would call it a big BHAG, a big hairy audacious goal. Um, so we're in the early stages um, of doing that. So we don't claim to be a role model because we have lots of issues with our our system. But there are areas we have worked with an Irish company to provide um, uh, automated respiration rate measurement um, in our in our general uh, respiratory wards and hospitals. And we think we're the first uh, hospital system in the world to have that standard of care available in general respiratory wards. So there are some, and that's from a company called PMD um, Solutions. And what we found is that um, in our living lab in Beaumont Hospital in Dublin, that 80% of the nurse read respiration rates were in incorrect. This isn't because they're bad nurses, because it's inherently difficult to measure respiration rates, but now we have a solution that will accurately measure respiration rates. And what we have found, particularly in COVID, that respiration rate is the first um, vital signs indicator to go off. So we now have about 12 hours notice of a deterioration of a COVID-19 patient and other respiratory patients using this technology. So there are specific technologies that we're deploying um, that other organizations could learn from. Um, perhaps the you know the the biggest lesson, and again, you know, we we are far from declaring success. We we still see ourselves as a very immature organization. Our methodology of open innovation 2.0. Uh, we've created a shared vision with the ecosystem, uh, which is stay left, shift left. Uh, you know, we have um, put in agile processes for development with our living labs. Most IT organizations and healthcare are still using. Waterfall, waterfall methodologies. We've tried to industrialize the innovation process. Another pattern of Open Innovation 2.0 is designing for adoption. So Michael Schreis from MIT, he says, innovation isn't innovators innovating, it's customers adopting. And um, you know, we when we are designing the, co-designing these solutions with suppliers, big and small, we look for, okay, what's the user experience? What's the utility? How do we make these solutions ubiquitous and so on? And by focusing on designing for adoption, uh, we are um, able to get you know faster and more successful uh, uh, adoption. But we very much want to work with the you know global community of healthcare. As I said, we're not competing with any healthcare system. We should be really collaborating. Martin Curley, it's been fascinating talking to you. Thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with us today. Thanks, Julian. It's a pleasure.